a British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast, show number 76. I'm Ryan in Seattle. Hey, I'm Chrissy in Seattle. How you doing, Chrissy? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Might lose my voice here. We'll give it a shot. I've been on the phone a lot for the last few days due to the um, earthquake and tsunami and everything else in Japan. I work for the American Red Cross, but America always springs to international disasters like these and wants to donate money and other things. So that's what I've been doing, talking to these people. Yeah, I managed to sleep through their earthquake. I went to bed and it happened about an hour later. And then by the time I woke up, you know, I'm hearing about tsunamis striking the West Coast and stuff. Yeah. So I had to install an app on my phone to alert me of important news things like this. <laughs> well, a lot of people want, it's put in their minds that they need to get a disaster kit together. And it's not something we carry in large numbers at our Red Cross. It's done on the internet through a web store that all the Red Crosses put people to. And I, But I've had an awful lot of people who have no computer access. They're 80 years old and they want to come get it. So that was a lot of talking to today. So you recommend people have a disaster kit, right? I have one. I have a couple. I have a, whole, a huge bin in my car. You can't, you have to walk the talk if you work for the Red Cross. Oh. I could probably do. Um, in fact, I think I need to swap out the water in it, but yeah. Well, you probably know CPR, right? Well, yes. Like if I have a heart attack here, you'll you'll save my life. Yeah, I reckon I could. Well, if there's if we could get nine one one here too as well, pretty quickly. Yeah, they got lost last time. We'll I can't defibr. I can't uh, bring you back to life, unlike some of the television shows. In fact, my CPR film I put on my Anglo Girl yeah. channel again this week, which has Life on Mars, Benidorm. Uh, Doctor Who. Um, oh, how not to do CPR? Yeah, how well how CPR is depicted on, TV. on the big and small. That um, has James Bond and uh, Alias, the Ricky Gervais episode, oh, yes. where they stopped his heart by strangling him and then restarted it with a defibrillator. I mean, conceivably it could have worked because it wasn't a home defib. They were using a professional model that you can adjust things rather than the ones that sell they sell now to the layman just to have around it's all on my website with snarky commentary by me so if anyone wants to have a look we'll put a link up had several hundred people have looked at it already since i put it up i did it for our cpr instructors to have a laugh at one of their meetings well this week's show we have reviews news what's on british tv this week shows running in the united states and a feature on simon Pegg. yes been waiting to do this for a while well, reviews. First one's Monroe. Did you get a chance to see this? No. Well, there's good news and bad news about this new medical drama starring James Nesbitt as a brilliant neurosurgeon. And the good news is that it's no knockoff of House. So everyone's saying, oh, it's just House. Because mm-hmm. House is at its core a mystery show. And Sherlock Holmes as a doctor. There's a medical mystery each week that Gregory House has to solve, and the audience learns about some arcane bit of medicine. And usually he saves a patient except for your friend. Yep, Had it Adrian. In Rest in peace, Adrian. But there are no mysteries on Monroe. A patient comes in, they do an MRI, Gabriel Monroe knows what to do, and then on to the surgery. Monroe also has a much better bedside manner with his patients than House does. He's like a role model for the NHS for how a doctor should interact with his patients. House is just a grouch. So forget the comparisons. It's like saying that Columbo and Miami Vice were the same show because they both solved crimes. Uh, no. 
The bad news when it comes to Monroe, however, is that it's cut from the same drama cloth as too many programs, the super competent professional whose personal life is a shambles. Poor Monroe has his wife leave him after 22 years of marriage. Apparently, she'd been thinking about it for six years ever since he had an affair. And we know that his rivalry with an uptight colleague played by Sarah Parrish will culminate in their hooking up within a few episodes. Do they think we've never seen television before? <laughs> so I accuse Monroe of being guilty of being too similar to other better shows. It's an okay medical drama, but I could name another half a dozen that were just as good. And then we had 2012, which I think they spelled out to avoid confusion with the uh, disaster movie that came out last year. This mockumentary focuses on the commission responsible for the London Olympics, and we can only hope the real committee isn't as incompetent as their fictional counterparts here. Hugh Bonneville, taking a break from Downton Abbey, plays Ian Fletcher, the bike-commuting head of Deliverance, whose CV doesn't suggest a history of successes. Surrounding him are a traffic engineer who only manages to gridlock London's traffic in a field test, and Jessica Hines is a public relations guru who keeps on talking and making promises with much more confidence than knowledge. I mean, Barney's totally plugged in. And he's an idiot. Ian is concerned that some of Siobhan's preparations for tomorrow may not be fully there. Our online presence is a key part of who we are. No, totally. I mean, it's virtually our virtual front door. Yes, and it's virtually off its hinges. Okay, here's the thing. Okay, the thing is here. Okay? Okay, here's the thing with this. Okay, so the thing is... Okay, Siobhan, like... forgive me if I haven't got time for the usual pleasantries. Sure, that's okay? cool, But get that guy some new glasses. Get him some new hair, sure. if need be. Get, get a new guy. I don't care. Whatever. But this needs to be completely sorted by the morning, okay? okay? sure, that's cool. No, I'm totally good with yeah. that. Also, sure. with the clock, Completely, yeah. I'm going to need a clear, unambiguous explanation of exactly how it works. Sure. Something that even Boris can grasp. Okay. Because I have to say, right now, I'm really struggling to understand it's it. absolutely cool. Someone mentioned on Twitter that they had a friend who sounds just like her, and I said, can someone actually be that brain-dead and oblivious in real life? She says, well, she's much smarter than the character Jessica Hines plays, but I know a lot of people who are kind of go on like that. David Tennant narrates the proceedings, which are familiar to anyone who's seen writer-directors John Morton's previous show, People Like Us, which David Tennant appeared in as a hapless actor. Jessica Hines was in it, too, actually. She didn't play the lead in an episode, but there was one set in a state agent, and she was one of the people trying to buy a house. So she also was in the old People Like Us, just to interject there. Okay. The humor doesn't come from jokes or particularly wacky situations. If anything, it celebrates the banal, but from the absurd things that come out of the so-called experts' mouths. In Morton's world, everyone has successfully reached the Peter Principle and risen to their level of incompetence. And we, the audience, get to watch them slowly drown and never thinking of reaching for a life ring. So I enjoyed that. Well, this week on Twitter... Is there anyone who was surprised by the announcement that season six of Doctor Who would begin on Easter weekend, as it's done every single year? Uh, a bit late, though, huh? Just because Easter's late yeah. this year, which kind of explains the breaking up into mm -hmm. two parts, because this would have put them possibly in the first week of August. I can't do the math, but uh, this is the, one of the latest Easter's we've ever had. They just didn't want to be running episodes when, during the middle of summer because people are out doing nice things. So it completely makes sense to do seven episodes now in April and May and then come back in the autumn. Yeah, I think it'll be good. So April 23rd, in fact, the announcement came out from BBC America via Entertainment Weekly. Officially, the BBC has not announced a premiere date because, as you know, they never like to do this until two weeks before that. So it's... <laughs> The worst secret in Britain. Everyone knows it's going to be April 23rd, and there'll be a day-and-date -day premiere here. They've already invited all the press in for the uh, press screening of the first two episodes and named what they were. 
Uh, that's going to be the beginning of April. So there'll be spoilers ahoy. Yeah, it seems to me that the, Jill Wiley always gets to go to that, but she always has to leave because she brings her kids and the kids get scared. Because I've seen a few premieres of Doctor Who over the years, and it seems like that's her yearly thing there. I follow Ian Wiley on Twitter, and uh, he was gloating, reporting that he had gotten his invitation to the premiere. I've actually seen quite a few uh, of the entertainment writers over there kind of mentioning, yes, I'm going to the Doctor Who premiere. Yes, we know. Okay. Some of us will have to wait until Easter or even after Easter. I'm going to be at a convention that weekend like I am every year. So it'll be like Sunday afternoon, evening before I see it. So I'll be like the last person in the world to Mm -hmm. see Doctor Who. Oh, well. Well, God forbid I actually recommended an American show to watch, but darn it, Fringe is mightily entertaining TV but it's probably very hard to jump into. I'm sure you've never seen it, right? No. no. You don't want to try it now. You would have no idea what's going on. I spent half an hour over dinner one night explaining the whole backstory to my wife, and it sounded crazy just describing it. It's a lot like Lost. It's It delivers to the patience of longtime viewers and lots of twists and turns. I thought I totally predicted where an episode was going uh, last week, and it threw me for a loop again. Like, oh, didn't see that coming. Hmm. For people who say, oh, there's nothing but crap on American TV, I beg to differ. And there's nothing like a dose of Lee Ingleby to finish off a season of Being Human. Yep. I was quite pleased to see him. He's turning up all over the place. He, he has always turned up over the place. He's just got... There's something about him. He can play an enormous range of ages. From young to, you know, a happily married man who's been in his 30s. And he's just um, real pliable. He, He's the consummate character actor, I think. I think he's David Tennant without having spent the three years being Doctor Who. I mean, he's that up-and-coming guy you see in lots of things. People are happy to cast him in parts. He's played leads. He's done He's done theater. a lot of theater at the National Theater. In fact, he took over from Tennant in um, a play, 2000, what was it? The real, the uh, Pillow Man oh. that um, Mark Warren actually played that part last year or maybe now two years ago and. Lester and it was they were talking of moving it to London but it didn't happen but the original production had David Tennant and Jim Broadbent and then Lee Ingleby took over for Tennant when he left so you're right they're very close getting the same kind of parts I think we're just waiting for Lee to kind of get that part that really shoots him off into the stratosphere yeah well he's doing George gently now but that's not stratospheric enough it's yeah they don't make very many of those he was in Master and Commander too he was really good in that I just Watched yeah. that the but other But again, day. he's supporting parts. It's not the right. point where he's really allowed to carry it and, and shine. But we love Lee Ingleby, and uh, we did a feature on him way back in show three. Yeah, we were children. Yeah, so. Come on, Lee, become famous and vindicate our faith in you. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the news this week, this is really amazing. In an interview in the Radio Times this week, Brian True May, the producer of the long-running Midsummer Murders, said that having black or Asian characters would change the show for the worst. He said, quote, We are a cosmopolitan society in this country, but if you watch Midsummer, you wouldn't think so. I've never been picked up on that, but quite honestly, I wouldn't want to change it. So when asked what he meant by cosmopolitan, Mr. True May, 65, replied, quote, well, we just don't have ethnic minorities involved, because it wouldn't be the English village with them. It just wouldn't work. Suddenly we might be in Slough. Ironically, Cowston, the town in Midsummer Murders, is supposed to be Slough. And if you went to Slough, you wouldn't see a white face there. We're the last bastion of Englishness, and I want to keep it that way. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
Needless to say, his bosses at ITV suspended him immediately and issued a statement saying how shocked and appalled they were at his comments. What a boob. What do you think this was, 1970? He must have, yeah. I know that when you work for broadcast companies in this country and the BBC, they hand you a very thick document that basically describes how you are supposed to behave in public and the... The fact that, you know, as a producer, you have the power of casting over a lot of things and they expect to see a certain kind of uh, procedures followed. And there are things in place for all of this sort of stuff. And you don't see people doing this. I'm just like, wow, this guy is really out of touch. So, hmm, wow. And better news, the BBC issued a press release after the season finale of Being Human went out Sunday to announce that there indeed will be a fourth season of the Supernatural okay. series. So hooray. Yeah, they had over a million viewers watch the last episode on BBC Three, and the episodes are currently being shown on BBC America on Saturday nights. But we won't talk spoilers here until after they've aired in the USA. Yeah, I read too that their little red button offshoot, Becoming Human, is going to be edited into a 50-minute show and shown It's on this Sunday. At some point, yeah. Yep, it will be. So I obviously want to uh, run for that as all it's worth, but I think it was a great season. I know you are going to be seeing it soon. Oh, yeah. The Royal Television Awards were given out March 15th in London, and the winners included a Judges Award for Stephen Moffat, Miranda Hart for Comedy Performance and Scripted Comedy, Five Daughters for Drama Serial, Sherlock for Drama Series, and The Road Coronation Street for Single Drama. The Sarah Jane Adventures won an award for Best Children's Drama and Jim Broadbent for Best Actor. And EastEnders was Best Soap, again beating out Coronation Street in his 50th year. Oh, well. So what's on TV for the week of March 16th to the 22nd? Wednesday, Waterloo Road will continue on BBC One. 24-hour Panel People is on BBC Three with a compilation of David Williams' marathon recreation of classic panel shows for comic relief. I've been following these. David Tennant turns up in quite a few of them. They did do Have, Got, Have I Got News For You. I think it was Patrick Kilty was the thing. But Angus Deaton is doing one of the shows. So I he had, was there. I had heard, yeah. That, uh, well, I heard that he might actually make a return to Have I Got News For You this spring. But we'll Really? See. Yeah. see, I would think that's a lot up to Ian and Paul. And I don't think they want to see him again. Well, it would get a lot of people tuned in. That can overcome a lot of people's objections sometimes. Well, we'll I think see. Ian and Paul, the 800-pound gorillas, if they really don't want somebody on the show, they're not going to be on the show. But who knows? Maybe they've forgiven and forgotten. By the way, um, they're moving back to Friday nights now hmm. after being on Thursdays. Uh, Alexander Armstrong was kind of complaining, saying, you know, the, the news week wasn't quite over, so it was really kind of hard to do this you know, topical mm-hmm. events show. And so I'll give you an extra day. He right. we'll make the show better. The day ahead, I remember, because I was in the audience once. Well, they had to edit the darn thing, <laughs> so as we know from the extended versions of that. Yeah, they they record for about an hour and a half, so they really edit it down. Well, if you watched the streaming of Twenty Four Hour Panel People, you saw the mm-hmm. you know live and uncut versions, and some of them are really brutally cutting down to like five or ten minutes. Uh, they did a bit of blankety blank, and they brought back Paul O'Grady, though he wasn't doing it as Lee Savage, right. but pretty much making the same jokes. But all throughout, you could say, say "This is the last time we're ever going to do this." And he, at one point, he looked right at the camera and says, "If anyone out there is thinking of recommissioning this again, don't. We're not going <laughs> to do it. We're never going to do this again." <laughs> Funny, because that show was on with a lot of hosts, wasn't it, for a long time? Jim Davidson, did he do it? or oh, well. I don't know. Blankety Blank is the British version of the match game. It mm-hmm. is, I mean, it is the match game, if you think that far back. 
Well, Thursday, Monroe, which Ryan reviewed, will continue on ITV1. And more 24-hour panel people on BBC3. 10 o'clock live is on Channel 4. And Celebrity Juice is on ITV2. Skins has its season finale on E4. Friday, Comic Relief 2011 is on BBC One with a brief jump to BBC Two during the news. We talked about the highlights in last week's show. Keep your eyes peeled for the two-part Doctor Who special in the first hour. And with any luck, Comic Relief will be streamed live worldwide. And if so, tune in and help support it. Highlights will be repeated Sunday night on BBC One. And don't forget that for the next couple of weeks, America is only, well, on the West Coast, we're only seven hours behind Britain instead of eight hours. And if you're on the East Coast, it would be four hours instead of five hours. So just use your iPhone. They've got that World Clock app. That'll tell you everything. <laughs> right. On Saturday, Harry Hill's TV Burp is on ITV1. BBC Three will be showing Frankenstein's Wedding live in Leeds. It's a drama and music event based on Mary Shelley's story starring Andrew Gower, Lacey Turner, and David Harwood, and it's being broadcast live from Kirkstall Abbey in Leeds. And being human fans, we'll know Lacey as the ghostly Leah, which also was a big-name actress in EastEnders for many years. Oh, and finally, I see Matt Smith stars as Christopher Isherwood in Christopher and His Kind, a TV movie on BBC Two about the influential gay writer best known for writing A Single Man, which was turned into a film with Colin Firth last year. It chronicles Isherwood's adventures in Berlin in the 1930s. If you've seen Cabaret, you know how that turns out. It also co-stars Toby Jones, Ido Goldberg, and who else playing Christopher's mom but Lindsay Duncan. Probably some sort of contractual thing that Matt Smith's mom must always be played by Lindsay Duncan. Yep. <laughs> well, she adores him, so I'm sure it's no no great hardship there. And they're going to show Cabaret on uh, BBC Two Sunday night just for people who are sort of in the mood there. <laughs> but I have to wonder about sticking this on Saturday night. Now, the BBC's not bearing this. He, Matt Smith's on the cover of the Radio Times this week uh, promoting this, but there hasn't been really a drama, first-run drama on Saturday nights for a long time. And they're having to put this on way after the watershed at 9.30 because there's going to be lots of sex and nudity. I guess they don't want Doctor Who fans watching. (laughs) But it just seems odd that they wouldn't put it on a more watched TV night than Saturday. So I don't quite know what they're thinking of that. Well, let's see what happens then. But it should be pretty good. And it's followed by a 1969 documentary on BBC4 about Christopher Isherwood, including an interview with him. Sunday, Time Team continues on Channel 4. Waking the Dead continues on BBC One with a two-part story that concludes Monday. The Being Human spin-off, Becoming Human, comes to BBC Three on a one-off compilation of the shorts that were previously available through the Red Button interactive service. It follows the experiences of the teenage vampire Adam, first seen in episode two of the season. Quite cool. Monday, Law & Order UK continues on ITV1. Waking the Dead has the conclusion to its story on BBC One. And 2012 continues on BBC Four. Mrs. Brown's Boys continues on BBC One. Tuesday, Silk is on BBC One. Carolyn Quentin, A Passage Through India continues on ITV One. And The Secret Diary of a Call Girl in ITV2 is the series finale. Will Belle choose her career or Ben? That's the that's that swan song, isn't it? That's there won't right. Be more, all they right. figure they've milked it for all it's worth. 
In the United States, on BBC America, Wednesday reruns The Tudors. Friday, it's Law & Order UK. Saturday, on Being Human, has Herrick now sharing at the B&B. Has he changed, or is it just an act? <laughs> this is period of being undead, undead, <laughs> change timber. Uh, dead, undead? I guess he was dead, undead. And well, now he's just undead. It does become a big mystery of how did he come back. So. Well, we saw at the end of series two, we saw um, a couple of the girl vampires Kara doing some sort and, of, and Daisy doing a chant and dripping their blood all over the grave, and blood. then he just sort of popped out. Mitchell wants to know. He's yeah. worried about that wolf-shaped bullet. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. And it's followed by the Graham Norton Show Saturday night with guest Joe Brand. Top Gear continues on Monday. Repeats it now. They finally burned through all of season 16. And the third season of Merlin continues Friday on Sci-Fi. So now, Alrighty. our feature on... talk about Simon Pegg. Yep. And they called him Peggy in that old six pairs of pants. And I'm wondering if that was just a nickname they came up with for that show, because I've never heard him referred to as Peggy before or since then. The Peggster, yes. Where was he actually called Peggy? Remember in Six Pairs of Pants, which was a really early sketch show that he did and where he met Jessica Stevenson, there all the skits were kind of shown and then it was tied together by this story that they were all becoming roommates in a country house. So they were just calling each other by their real names, but they called him Peggy the whole time. I forgot about the framing device. Oh, yeah, you first see them just finding the house and moving in, and Simon's bitching because it's the too country for him. He wants to go back to the city, and they're staking out their bedrooms and things like that. So, Well, I found a clip of, uh, it's a parody of a film program there, and he's being interviewed. Films. We've all seen them, all big and full of light in that. But where do they come from? One theory is that they come from Hull. Another, that they are raised on special farms by ancient women. But by far the most popular theory is that they come from people's heads in the form of ideas, which are then converted into special paper through which light can be shined. Recently, however, it has emerged that the heads of some filmmakers are empty and completely full of nothing. As a result, these filmmakers have turned to piracy, plundering the lives of innocent people as a mongoose might plunder eggs from the lair of a cobra. I have one such innocent in the studio tonight. Dave Pringle, welcome. Hello, darling. Tell us about everything. Well, um, I believe that the films Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Robocop both borrow heavily from my own life experiences. Right, right. How would that be exactly? Well, for instance, Robocop happened Mm. to me when I was about 18. Uh Um, I joined the police force in 1986 as a favour to my uh, grandfather, Erhi who tended the goats on a distant mount, together with Peter, his mischievous prodigy. And um, he'd always been a big fan of the Sweeney. It was his favourite show, you know, he watched it all the time. And um, he'd often make me dress up in a sort of tight-fitting black polo neck sweater Mm -hmm. and chase him round the house, (laughs) shouting, I'm going to bloody have you, you slag! (laughs) (laughs) And um, ironically enough, when I became a policeman, my grandfather was the first person that I arrested and murdered. Oh, dear. And um, one day, I was called out on a B17-6. Oh, goodness me, I'm fascinated. What's that? I don't know. Right. Um, Carry on. Anyway, I was uh, suddenly shot to bits by an evil sniper and had to go to hospital to have my whole body replaced by the gift of robotic surgery. And, uh, but in the end, I found that I couldn't wear the titanium body armour. Why was that? Because it, it gave me a bit of jogger's nipple. 
Dear, ow. Ow, yeah, sore, <laughs> I can tell you. And what about the second film, David, um, Close Encounters of a Third Kind? That's a, a very different film. How yeah. does it resemble your own life? Go and see it, go to the pictures. Right. You know, nestle down, bag of popcorn, watch the movie. Right, with a friend. With a friend, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, the only difference I can see is that I, did, I obviously didn't fly away in the spaceship Alan Richard Dreyfus, otherwise I wouldn't be here. Right, well, I would have been tempted. Why <laughs> was that? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, my dog and then bridge partner, Alan, yes. um, was up on a very serious sheep-worrying charge at the time. He had allegedly been spotted hanging around right. a number of local farms, spreading a rumour that uh, wool was passé. Um, a lot of sheep got worried. <laughs> Do you know something, David? What? I've never hated anyone the way I hate you. Sorry? Where's the bloody producer? Even other bits you see of him doing like alien invasion stuff, doing sci-fi references. I mean, he's already kind of working out his inner geekness there and mm -hmm. releasing it to the unsuspecting public. Well, let's start at the beginning there. He was born Simon John Beckingham, and Peg was his stepfather's surname, which he took when his mom married somewhat later. He was born in Gloucester, England, and... He went to Bristol University, and he there he knew David Walliams because they're the same age, and they were both lifeguards. Oh. Sort of makes sense with Walliams but only one later. of them would swim the English yes. Channel. But you know the other thing is that Darren Brown is their age, and he also went to Bristol. But I guess because he wasn't in doing dramatics, I've never really mentioned heard it mentioned that they knew him at the time. Bristol's a pretty big school. Wow! So they're all three at the same age. Well, yeah, Darren just turned forty, and I think Simon's forty-one, and. Williams is somewhere around that age, too. So, yeah, they're all about the same age, and they all went to Bristol hmm. at the same time, presumably. But although Simon was a pretty early celebrity guest on, I think, just the second series that Darren had on telly, they, they didn't mention knowing each other beforehand. Hmm. But I always thought that was interesting. Yeah. Well, after school, Simon moved to London and, like so many, started doing stand-up because with about 100 clubs running throughout London, that's a, that's a surefire way to get yourself on stage if you've got the gumption to do it and develop some sort of persona and get seen. He would continue doing stand-up for quite a while. In fact, I'd like to talk a little bit later about the work he's done with Steve Coogan over the years, but I know that in 98, when Steve Coogan was touring around as a headliner doing all his characters, which um, Simon was his warm-up, comedian every night and then would appear in some of the skits and little in-between bits too along with julia davis who was the other support act for that boy i didn't i never made the connection between him and steve coogan yeah they're they're real good friends too I, in one interview they mentioned that they celebrated new year's eve together huh and if i have the dvd of coogan's the man who thinks he's it and it's sort of that one is framed where they're interviewing people backstage and they interview simon and julia about how have you enjoyed working together? And, oh, they're just so happy and they smile at one another and they've had such a ball. And how do you like working for Steve? And then they just both look terrified that they're going to say the wrong thing and be belted and, and just are very carefully saying, oh, yes, we definitely like working with Steve as well. And they didn't show Steve stand up, but I read that it, he really stormed the stage and people you really mean liked him. Simon, right. So Simon would do some stand up and then he would appear in little bitty skits and on stage as an extra body. Have you ever seen any of his Simon Pegg stand-up? Um, no, not really. I know that he worked little bits of it into space in their little surreal monologues. But And you said Asylum was that way too, wasn't it? Yep, so Asylum was also uh, constructed as 
a story, but people would do little bits of their separate stand-up. And uh, Williams, David Williams, co-wrote Asylum. So really? There's the connection early wow. on too. And David Williams also famously dated Jessica Hines once when they were 15 years old. <laughs> and he later, um, he actually, Williams was with Katie Carmichael, who played Twist and Spaced oh. for years and years and years, and said she was just a really important, influential person in his life. But though she doesn't, she's not in showbiz anymore. She kind of quit. Oh, did she? Yeah. She's I was wondering when kids. I saw her today. Yeah, several I, kids. I was curious about whatever happened. So going there. back to Simon here with all his early people that he worked with, we mentioned Six Pairs of Pants, which was a low-budget early sketch comedy program that he was in, along with Neil Malarkey and Sally Phillips, who would later be in Smack the Pony. And But he was also in one for Channel 4 called We Know Where You Live, which had quite a cast. And it's nearly it was nearly forgotten, and then they dusted off the tapes and put it out on DVD. And it was about 1995, um, 96, when it, but it had quite a cast, too. Sanji Baskar who would be in Goodness Gracious Me, was in it. Amanda Holden and um, Fiona Allen, another who would go on to Smack the Pony. And that's a nice sketch comedy. But, of course, for me, the greatest sketch comedy he ended up doing was Had to Be Big Train. I think that was just a cut over. Because there's so many sketch comedy shows in the U.K., especially compared to the U.S. But to me, Big Train was just the cream of the crop. Well, it's interesting because there was this sort of period where they you had these sort of group sketch comedy things, kind of like SCTV, because normally it's a double act, mm -hmm. you know, Smith and Jones or Hugh and uh, Fry and Laurie, whoever, will just do all the bits themselves. But this is where they would take five or six people, an ensemble, and then put them into different situations and uh, scenes and things like that. And and that, that was kind of big for a while, and then it kind of contracted. And I can't recall anything similar to that recently. Can you? No. Well, the thing with Big Train, all the skits were kind of the same. They were take a situation, play it completely straight, but twist one little thing, and everything was constructed around that. So Simon might be this incredibly suave man who gets all the girls and is cheating on them when their husband comes home, but the one thing they twist is he doesn't know how to operate doorknobs, so he'll still be in the corner hours later trying to escape, when, even after the husbands come home and the, and the cheating wife is eating dinner with them, and Simon's still trying to get out the, wall, the door, that sort of thing. Big Train was written by Graham Lynham and Arthur Matthews. The guys who did Father Ted. Hmm. It was it was really good. Yes. I, that was my favorite of all the sketch comedies. But he did plenty of them. If you count Asylum, that's four. Then, of course, had the huge hit with Spaced. But you liked him before then. You liked him in Faith in the Future. Yeah, Faith in the I Future. Well, it was uh, almost an oxymoron. It was a funny ITV comedy. Mm -hmm. It was the 1990s. They still were doing them. And ostensibly, it was about Linda Billingham, who played Faith and her daughter Hannah, played by Julia Sawala, with cornrows. Mm -hmm. And she had just come back from college, and so she's kind of moved back in, kind of an adult daughter moving in with the mother. So there's a tension between the mother and the daughter. And Simon played Jules, who basically wanted to be Hannah's boyfriend. And very often the show would be more about him, you know, just trying to work his way into Hannah's life. And she just thought, oh, you're just a friend kind of thing. And there's a scene here where uh, Jules has uh, camped out on some friend's flat. <laughs> Cheers, Paul. <laughs> this is uh, <clears throat> this is my mate Paul. <laughs> you are not my mate, Jules. 
No, he likes a bit of a joke. This is not a joke. You said you had a gig tonight. Yeah, well, it was the wrong night, and we thought, you know, what can we do? And I thought, well, why don't we go back to my... Uh, your place and um, <laughs> you know, have a rehearsal? And then the lights went out, so we thought we'd just chill out, you know? Get out! Yeah, tomorrow. And now get out, hey, all of you! Hey, hey, whoa there. Be cool, man. You know, we can talk about this. <laughs> just leave now. And take the orchestra. And leave my Napoleon brandy. Sorry, he's a bit of a connoisseur, Baz. He didn't mean to take advantage. Well, you have. Where will I go? Go with them. Yeah, but they run too fast. Just <laughs> get your stuff and leave. All right, I'll clear up, I promise. And I'll pay for the breakages. What breakages? They're in the sink, but I'll sort it. <laughs> All right. Hello. You look nice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Paul didn't tell me he had a guest staying, otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> You're a friend of his, are you? Yes, I am. Only didn't he meet his girlfriend, you know, because he's already got Mrs. Grayshot. <laughs> you know, I mean, she's older, but she's really nice. Yeah. Actually, she's the mother of my girlfriend. <laughs> well, not yet, but she will be, eventually. Hopefully. <laughs> So, anyway, um, you, you must know Mrs. Grayshot, because she's around here all the time. Honestly, she's... You're making some sandwiches. <laughs> that episode ends with one of the funniest things I've ever seen, which is Faith is, uh, I guess she's a teacher. She gets confronted by the parent of one of her students saying, oh, you're going after your students. You know, my, my son is in love with you and all this stuff. You're leading him on. She goes, no, no, I'm not. Please come in, please come in. And they come into the living room and, and the woman says, look, see, you have another kid right there. She goes, that's my son. She goes, look, I have to tell you, young men are not chasing after me. It's not happening. And at that moment, Jules bursts in, wraps his arms around her legs going, please, please, please let me spend the night here. Ah. And then, boom, right to the credits. And I, at the time, I just thought that was <laughs> really, really great. So great comic timing there. So, yeah, that was Faith in the Future. Well, we've talked about Spaced many times. It's my favorite Britcom of all time, really. I still love it. That was something that he wrote with Jessica, who he'd met in Smack the Pony, and then they'd done Asylum, and that's how they met Edgar, who was about two. <laughs> <laughs> Edgar knew what he wanted early, and he achieved it very early too. He was he was still in his early mid twenties when directing Spaced, and not even thirty when he did Shaun of directed Shaun of the Dead. They didn't have to make a pilot. They they submitted the scripts, and they said there was actually just a bidding war because people realized how interesting and good it was, and they'd done good work before in other projects. And the reason Channel 4 won was they said, well, you could do seven episodes instead of six. We'll let you do an extra episode. And they liked that, so that's why it became a Channel 4 show. I think it belonged on Channel 4, too. It had that Channel 4 vibe. Yeah, Daisy, the Jessica Hines character, wanted to be a writer, and but she never quite got around to it. And then Tim was a uh, cartoonist. He worked in a uh, comic book shop run by Bill Bailey mm -hmm. as uh, Bilbo, whose office looked like the TARDIS. You are so blind. You so do not understand. You weren't there at the beginning. You don't know how good it was, how important. This is it for you, this jumped-up firework display of a toy advert. People like you make me sick. What's wrong with you? Now, I don't care if you've saved up only 50 peas, OK? Take your pocket money and get out! <laughs> What a prick. 
Jim, can I have a word with you in my office? Yes. Have a seat, Tim. Twiglet? I better not. I was like you once. Blonde hair, scraggy little beard, childlike ears, full of beans and spunk. I let my principles get in the way sometimes. I punched a bloke in the face once for saying Hawk the Slayer was rubbish. Good for you. Yeah, thanks. But that's not the point, Tim. The point is, I was defending the fantasy genre with terminal intensity, when what I should have said is, Dad, you're right. But let's give Krull a try, and we'll discuss it later. The Phantom Menace was 18 months ago, Tim. I know, Bilbo. Okay, just, it still hurts. You know, that kid wanted a Jar Jar doll. Kids like Jar Jar. Why? What about the Ewoks? Hey, They were rubbish. You don't complain about them. Yeah, but Jar Jar Binks makes the Ewoks look like f***ing Shaft. I've had enough, Tim. But Bilbo... Oh, fuck, I know how you feel, right? I really do. But this can't go on. What are you trying to say, Bilbo? I'm going to have to let you go. Phew! <laughs> ah. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to fire me then. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Phew! <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Yeah, I watched the season two opener. Boy, what a cast. You had two mysterious men in black played by Mark Gatiss and Kevin Eldon, both doing their sort of Agent Smith American accents. And then, did you recognize the guy? John Sim. John Sim. (laughs) He didn't have any lines, but he played some guy that Daisy meets coming back from Asia. She'd been touring Asia. And they switch the luggage and it ends up with these guys chasing after her. And I'm like, oh my God, it's John Sim. Well, I think the weirdest, wow, that's that guy appearance in that whole series has to be Ricky Gervais in the penultimate episode as an office worker playing essentially David Bryant. But <laughs> you don't even hear him saying anything, but he's misplacing the ad for Marsha's flat to say professional couple. And it turned out she didn't she didn't care if it was a professional couple, but they'd been lying to her because they thought they had to be a professional couple. But that was a pretty good too, and that was just before The Office. I think The Office they said had been filmed, but hadn't been broadcast at that time. So that was quite a good little coup in space. Wow! And of course, it starred Simon's best pal Nick Frost. Yeah, who really didn't believe until about a week into filming he was going to be allowed to keep the part because he had no <laughs> acting experience. Oh, really? Yeah, he was just a funny guy. Oh, he didn't run to drama school or anything. No, he didn't. They met working at a restaurant. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And but he Simon thought that Nick was just the funniest person he knew and he wanted him in the show and lo and behold Nick has a career too now. Uh no kidding. Completely apart from Simon and many things too doing Hyperdrive and um he's been some film appearances like Kinky Boots that Oh, he's in the new film called Tower is Tower Blocks when that it's about an alien invasion in uh housing block of flats. Oh. And yeah. he's like the name guy because it's a total no-name cast. It's kind of like watching Misfits or something like that. And these uh, hoodies have to basically uh, defend the block against this uh, alien monster. Yeah, well, Nick was a man-stroke woman, which was a oh, yes. sketch comedy group of his own. So he's done a bit of that as well. And I agree with Simon. He is a very, very funny guy. So after Spaced, um, it was interesting with Big Train, too, as they had 
two series, but they were about five, filmed about five years apart. So, and only the men were the same in the first cast and the second cast. But so, so Simon, Kevin Eldon, and Mark Heap were in both series. And the other series they did with the same writers was Hippies. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. That, that didn't go over too well, but it was Simon's big follow-up to After Space. Yeah, almost immediately the after. It. it was kind of weird. It was, it was a period piece about you know, set in the 60s, and it basically showing how lazy and hippies are, which kind of little too little too late, I think. Um, I've got a clip, though, where Simon is directing a play. Looks like they're doing Godspell or knockoff of Godspell. And uh, Peter Serafinowicz is there. Mm-hmm. Darren Boyd's in that. That was great. Yeah! <laughs> well done, everybody. Um, just a couple of notes. I'm not staying for any notes. <laughs> you, you, you're very good, Robin. What's that supposed to mean? Just... <laughs> well done. <laughs> Okay, Jesus? Can I see Jesus, please? <laughs> Hello. Jesus, could you say your line for me, please? I'm Jesus, and I've come down to freak the whole scene. <laughs> okay, um... Hippie horse, please. Can I see hippie horse? <laughs> Hi. Hippie horse, now it's very important that you stay close to Jesus, okay? Remember, you're a team. Sorry, yeah, um, I, uh, I don't understand still. Sorry, I don't see why. Um, hippie horse and Jesus. Um, I don't really see, don't see the connection. Isn't it obvious? No, no, uh, it's remarkably non-obvious. Okay. Hippie horse is what Jesus longs to be. <laughs> no, you're really going to have to explain that to me. Well... If you have to ask, Alex, maybe I'm not doing my job properly. Well, possibly, possibly that's the problem. Well, just, well take five. Take five what? I don't know. I just saw it on the television, OK? <laughs> Sally Phillips was the female lead. And also around that time, Simon, of course, had to be in Band of Brothers because everybody was in Band of Brothers. Yes. Although he played an American, so he got to do his few scenes with his American accent. And another thing, too, around that time, Steve Coogan made a very British, little British movie called The Parole Officer. Oh, yes. Which was supposed to be released in the United States, got a lot of funding from the U.S., but it never really came out here. But Simon is in one scene with no lines at all. It's just set in a museum. And Julia Davis is there playing his wife, and it's just some looks they give each other that are very funny. Mm. And in the commentary, Steve said that that was actually one of the, a little thing they added after test screenings to put a little more humor here and there in the film and get some independent laughs. So the two of them just came in as a favor and, and did that little scene. Oh, it was a pickup scene. Yeah. Oh. So he did things like that. He and Coogan did a skit for Comic Relief, and Coogan was Alan Partridge, and Simon played the Milky Bar Kid, but grown up. Oh, gosh. Who And talking about his terrible life since his stint as the Milky Bar Kid. There were actually something like 12 Milky Bar Kids for the you know over the years, because they always needed a little blonde kid who wants to give Milky Bar chocolate bars to everybody and says, oh, the Milky Bars are on me, and hands out the chocolate. But Simon was playing... Just talking about since then how he'd been a male prostitute and fallen into <laughs> homeless and everything else. And then he and 
Alan just decide to be friends and go camping at the end of the skit. And it was kind of, it was pretty funny. Um, Simon kind of lost it at the end and had to cover his mouth with his hand because he was starting to laugh. But they did it a couple more times on different charity shows live. So it kind of diminished, but the first time was very funny. And Simon turned up in the Pop Stars parody with Rowan Atkinson. And also he was in Spider Plant Man, right? Yep, he had a very small part. So did Nick Frost in right. Spider Plant Man playing uh, reporters at the lab where they were developing the super spider plant. And Mackenzie Crook was the scientist. Oh, gosh. So it was quite a uh, cameo-filled little Spider Plant Man there. And he was in the Blankety Blank, too, that was hosted by Peter Serafinowicz doing his very best. Uh, Terry. Terry Wogan? Terry Wogan, yeah. Terry Wogan. And he was playing Freddie Starr and eating the his microphone, and Simon was. <laughs> And so he goes way back with Comic Relief. So we'll see if he pops up this weekend, if he's around in the UK. And he had other parts, too. He was on the Brass Eye special that they did a couple years after Brass Eye itself in the pedophilia episode, playing sort of a anarchist slash pedophile who storms the, the TV station. And they end up putting him in a stockade. To punish him. He was in uh, 24-Hour Party People, again, starring Steve Coogan. So he had a small role in that. He turned up in Black Books in one episode when Manny defects to a neighboring bookstore, which is much brighter and and nicer than Bernard's. It's actually next door because Bernard can take a brick out of the wall and stare through and see Simon bossing Manny around and teaching him how to make espressos and... (laughs) serve muffins to the the people who are coming in the bookstore but in the end he's cast off and and manny comes back to where he belongs in bernard's employ and he was in a small cameo in league of gents apocalypse movie along with peter k and they played characters named after one another and I haven't seen this, but apparently he was in Guest House Paradiso too, which was based on Bottom, the sitcom Bottom with... I have that. Someone sent me that. Yeah. I, I don't remember him in it, but yeah, it basically is a movie version of them running amok in a, in a guest house. Of course, he was in what I find to be the very best of the I, I'm Alan Partridge episodes too, Watership Alan, playing one of the film crew that comes out to make sort of a film about the series of boats that are meant, leisure boats that are meant to go up and down the canal. So they're trying to film a commercial for it. But it runs, first of all, they hire an actress to portray Alan's wife, but she can only work one day. So they replace her with a mannequin on the second day. And then secondly, Alan has infuriated all the farmers of the area by saying on on his radio show that they're idiots. So they're standing on the banks of the canal and shouting at him as they're trying to film this commercial. And it, go, it just gets funnier from there. So Simon wasn't a huge flashy role, but he was in, I think, the very best of all the I'm Alan Partridge episodes. And even Chris Morris was in that episode playing a farmer. So oh, that, and Duma Kitchen played the, the model who was the wife. So oh. it was an incredibly... Great cast, all smushed into one episode there. And then, of course, uh, Simon became a movie star. Oh, don't forget, he was in Doctor Who, though. Oh, yeah, okay, well, you talk about that then. Well, he played the editor in The Long Game, and he had to say the incredibly long name of the monster that lived in the ceiling, which I'm not even going to attempt. Yeah, he narrated The Confidential, that first series That's as right. well. 
he was such a star already in the UK at that point that, of course, they had to let him be a Simon, a Doctor Who baddie. Would have been a dream come true for him. He had done, before he kind of made it big, or he, I guess he was kind of big. Yeah, because he would have been, been established by this point. But he was doing the Big Finish audios along with David Tennant prior to David Tennant becoming the Doctor. Right. Because they both were fans. They're like, oh, they're doing Doctor Who oh, stories? I've, I've Can heard, I be in those? Yeah, I've heard the one he did, and Jessica was in it too. Yeah. And it was a uh, Paul McGann episode. Ah, based on the night that War of the Worlds by uh, the Orson Welles version of War of the Worlds was broadcast. So they actually, um, after the broadcast is over, they go and they find, the doctor has to find Orson Welles and get him to redo some of the broadcast to scare off some real aliens to think that bigger aliens are coming so that these real aliens will skedaddle and not invade the Earth. So Buckaroo Banzai did that first. (laughs) Haven't seen that one, but that was their episode. But yeah, I think Simon and, and David Tennant have to be two of the biggest geeks who are operating in show business. I mean, they grew up as fans, <laughs> and they love to work that, that kind of stuff, and, and it shows up in so many of the things he does. Well, he, he has, I think, a far-reaching fandom than... Uh... Tenant, Tenant seemed to be focused pretty on Doctor Who with what he was a geek about. Yeah. And Simon, of course, likes all sci-fi. In fact, famously, when he got a little money for the first series of Spaced, spent it to go fly to New York so he could see the Phantom Menace before anyone and regretted it greatly. <laughs> yeah, that worked into the uh, bit that we played in Space there where he's chewing out an eight-year-old for liking it. <laughs> right. Well, he... And then he... Uh, had to call back and tell Edgar about it. And he was just, it's not very good. Oh, dear. This is terrible. So then he became a movie star with Edgar writing Shaun of the Dead. Was it just Edgar or did Simon work on that as well? Simon and with Edgar. Yeah. yeah Simon I mean, and Edgar, they wrote it together. That's the thing together. about Simon Pegg is he hasn't been, with, well, okay, he has been cast in other people's movies, but he also sort of wrote his own movie career. Right. He's like, hey, let's do a funny version of a zombie movie and I'll play the lead. It's one, and of course, one of the greatest DVD extras of all time has to be the two of them with their flip chart before they've written any of the script, but they have the whole story and they've drawn little pictures and they've mapped out the whole story and they go through it and they film this, I think, right around September 11th, 2001. So Mm. it was a year and a half before they started filming the movie, but they're going through it, planning even then that it's going to be a DVD extra in there. And then they would say See, see, that was that part in the movie? Did that survive? And then they had something about they were going to blow up the Jaguar. And they said, I'm sure that's going to be the first thing we cut out of the budget, there. <laughs> which was true. They did not blow up the Jaguar. But... but yeah, Shaun of the Dead was one of those little British movies that could because there was nobody recognizable to an American audience at that point in the film. There's no stars, American stars in it. Yeah, I was in New York, and it was just so cool seeing great big Shaun of the Dead posters everywhere, and I was with my equally spaced-loving friend, JT, and Mm. we were just very happy about it. I was just like, wow, it looks like a really funny movie. I mean, of course, I obviously knew who Simon Pegg was and and recognized all the actors in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was actually kind of annoying. Oh, I know know who that is. I know who that is. And of course, you know, it had to be some obscure thing. But uh, yeah, he struck a chord there. I mean, people wanted to see a funny zombie movie. It worked completely and made him somebody who's well-known. Yep, they even got to go, uh, he and Edgar got to go and be zombie extras in a George Romero's next zombie movie that he made, just on the basis of doing Shaun of the Dead. Oh yeah, I'm sure it opened a lot of doors. 
then he wrote his next movie, Hot Fuzz, right? Right. That was another one he also wrote with Edgar, again, with his buddy Nick still playing his sidekick. Although they said in the next movie, Nick's going to have the, the main role and Simon's going to be the sidekick. So we'll see. I don't know if they meant Paul or if they mean the next one that they're doing the next, with, next one. with Edgar. Yeah. But I really do admire Simon Pegg's the fact that he's just not waiting around for the phone to ring. He's out there creating material for himself. I mean, he made space happen. I mean, with Jessica Hines, obviously. He's out there. When you're a writer, you're a creator and really kind of guarantees a long career when you're not just... Well, he can write it and then he has the talent to do it, too. Yeah. And he had to pull off some really dramatic moments in Shaun of the Dead. And and Hot Fuzz was a little more one note, I think, with just the all all work and no play London cop who finally softens up a little at the end. But he had to, you know watch his mother die in Shaun of the Dead, and he did it very well. He was a, They were able to really spin the whole comedy thing around and then kind of get it back on a hopeful note for the end. I think it's just the perfect little film. And, of course, they got to play homage to all their favorite zombie movies in the first one, but the second one, they got to bring in all their favorite English actors from all the films they loved growing up to play all the citizens. Oh, having yeah. Timothy Dalton in there. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was a really smart move on both their part and Timothy Dalton's because, you know, he was always the, the good-looking guy and he'd been James Bond and all this, but everyone thought of him as a very serious guy. And seeing him doing a funny part made you think of Timothy Dalton in a completely different way. And I think that's kept his career going because he's been on Chuck and uh, Doctor Who and uh, other things. And, uh, you know, it showed what a great, versatile actor he is, too. Well, in the com- one of the commentaries, they said he told them that he had way more fun on their movie than he ever did playing James Bond. So oh. there you go. <laughs> and then, of course, he was starting to do some uh, work in Hollywood, too, very famously in Mission Impossible 3. Now, this may be apocryphal, but apparently he did an interview where he, yep. he said after he became successful with Sean, they'd say, well, I'm not going to just go off and do Mission Impossible 3. And he did. Right. When they said, were you going to go Hollywood on us? And it just <laughs> ripped, you know, something out of the air, Mission Impossible 3. And then it turned out he was. And he's going to be in the fourth one as well. They just wrapped up in Vancouver. And he's got a much bigger part this time. And what should we talk about next? Of course, he got to join a, a new franchise, a new old franchise. This has to be... A dream come true. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're a old boy growing up in England and you're going to go in the acting business or whatever, you think, wouldn't it be great to play Doctor Who? But, you know, for like for me growing up, to be able to play an iconic Star Trek character it would just be something you would just never imagine. Although they would never recast those parts and I would never get that part. Mm-hmm. And for him to be able to get the part of Scotty is got to be just something he never could imagine happening. Yeah, he didn't really show up in the film until more than halfway through, so I think he'll be in it more. Oh, yeah, because Scotty is a really important... I mean, the the engineer is an important part of the Star Trek thing, and and he worked out really great. And another element of that fabulous movie, it was just great to see a guy who you know could appreciate the part. So many actors are like, I never saw Star Trek before I did this movie. You're like, what, did you live in a cave? Mm -hmm. But, you know, Simon Pegg clearly knew what he was doing, knew the part, knew the franchise. I'm sure he loved every minute of it, and it shows on screen. Then he started getting leads in Hollywood films, at least with How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. That was the lead in that. Is Run, Fat Boy, Run a British movie or an American movie? Well, it was written and directed by Americans, but it was filmed in Britain. And and the stars were British. So I think it's kind of both. Okay. 
because Michael Ian Black uh, wrote it. Simon Anglif- Anglifiled, <laughs> anglicized. Yes. He, he made the script more English mm-hmm. when it became apparent it was going to be set in London. David Schwimmer was the director. Oh, yeah. And so you're right. I had forgotten about that. Run Fat by Run. Was, it's on cable all the time. <laughs> and he, he was at one of his adult thinnest weight when he started filming it, too, because he had lost so much weight and exercised so hard to get his body in... Um, in the fittest shape ever to play Nicholas Angel in Hot Fuzz. So he had to wear prosthetic tummies because, oh. because he was nowhere near being fat. I mean, he, he has said he has a slight tendency to pudge out if he's not really, really careful, but he was quite slim and very uh, buffed out when he started it. So at least he would have been uh, good for doing all the takes, running, 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 unless they were doing the filming. And then the the Hollywood film, as I said, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, playing a version of the writer Toby Young, as his book was adapted to be made into a film with Kristen Dunst as his co-star. I've not seen that. Nor have I. But you know what I was really looking forward to forever and ever was Burke and Hare, and it's actually come and gone in the UK. I don't, th- and it doesn't seem to have an American um, release date. The John Landis film starring, yeah. and it's out on DVD already in the UK. I just found that out. I, it might still come out here. Mm-hmm. I, I think I saw an interview with John Landis someplace, so I think he's been promoting it. It might be working the film festival circuit right now, so maybe they're looking for a pickup. Could be. It's it's not getting the greatest of reviews online, but hmm. it was to star David Tennant and Simon Pegg, but David Tennant pulled out, so Andy Serkis, right. who I think physically really matches Pegg a little better in terms of their height and you don't have the I think they might have looked a little different side by side with Tennant. They have he has a different sort of shape and persona. And once again Jessica Hines is making an appearance, but not married to Simon Pegg's character. She's paired off with Aunt Andy Circus, whilst uh, Simon Pegg is wooing Mrs. Uh, Borat <laughs> Isla Fisher. Oh. Um Sasha Baron Cohen's wife. Well, I would suspect that if his new movie opens number one here, as it has done in Britain, that suddenly a film starring Simon Pegg, directed by John Landis, is going to look really good to some studio or distributor okay. to get in the theaters. So, Paul, is the film yes, you're speaking Yes, Paul is coming up have this week. Have, have you seen it at a preview screening? I have or not seen no? it. Uh, it did open last month in Britain. It opened number one. It's done very well over there. And he wrote it with Nick. Yep. They and drove they around. And decided to stretch themselves and not have uh, Papa Edgar direct this one. So, But they, they really did drive around in an RV on mm-hmm. those locations, just saying, okay, we can have parts of it happen here. And they re- basically doing on-location research for the whole thing. And Seth Rogen is the voice of the alien. You know, two basically two British guys touring America because they're, they're Area 51 alien nuts. Meet a real alien. And they have to get him back to Area 51. And Zagurney Weaver plays uh, head of the government officials who are trying to get him back. And Jason Bateman is one of her agents. I saw just, I wasn't able to watch it because we're not meant to watch YouTube and steal all the bandwidth at work. But I saw some clip of the of Nick and, and Simon online today where they're reenacting a Star Wars scene. I saw that too. <laughs> is it good? <laughs> Dressed in cardboard suits. It's it's cute because they're being very actorly about it. I mean, Nick won't take the part of R2 seriously. He keeps mm-hmm. questioning all the lines he's got to do. And why do you have to do this? And why do you have to kick me there? And all this stuff. And and uh, Lines? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Beep, is beep, that beep. He, won't, he won't beat properly <laughs> oh, to okay. Simon's satisfaction. 
So Simon, so Nick just says, oh, "I'll just say the lines," and then he starts arguing about what he's supposed to be saying, and because they're, they, you know, they're having the fight on Tatooine after they're they're doing it, and, and Simon's okay. trying to stay in, stay in character, and runs off. Says, "Are we really fighting? I'm not sure." You know, yeah. Well, <laughs> and they, they're wearing really cheesy costumes. I know they do refer to each other as their heterosexual life partner. So anyone marrying, and because Nick married a bit later than Simon, and but Simon's has a fan website but he does put blog to it occasionally and the last i haven't looked at it very often but he was just blogging about what a wonderful day nick's wedding was when he got to be best man for nick because nick had been his best man well simon has a very popular twitter feed i subscribe mm-hmm. to it and you know he's always full of fun facts of what cities and of course right now he's this week he's touring america promoting the film as you do and he talks about all the different cities he's been in you doing the Tonight Show and things like that. So yeah, Paul opens up this week. I, I want to see it. I mean, it's the kind of film I would want to see. And mm-hmm. and I mean, I I loved all his comedies. I think wow, a parody of an alien movie. That sounds great. And of course, it's Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. What's not to love? So it's true. So presumably, we'll do probably the same kind of business that Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz does. And Simon's got uh, Mission Impossible three coming out of, or four coming out of Christmas, and then they've already sent him the script to the next Star Trek movie. They start filming that pretty soon. That probably comes out in twenty twelve sometime. And I'm sure he's probably working on yet another script yep. or something else for him to do himself. It's fun so. watching his career grow. And then Jessica's in a completely different direction because she is getting roles, nice roles in oh, British yeah, films. But her, um, she's been nominated now for an Olivier for a play in the West End. And, a, and then she was up for a Tony two years ago for Norman Chronicles. Yeah. Lost to Angela Lansbury, who really didn't need another one. I think she already had five. Well, but, you know. Jessica's doing okay. And she's on TV right now in mm-hmm. 2012. Yep, so it's it's great fun. They've come very far, and they all got their start as humble British TV actors. Is that all we have to say about Simon Pegg? I think so. Hi, Simon Pegg. Yes. Well, next week, Alan Bleasdale. Okay. From GBH to the recent Sinking of the Laconia, he's mm-hmm. produced some really great TV dramas and serials and I'd like to take a look back at all okay, the things that he's written. Meanwhile, we'd like you to visit our website, www.britishtvpodcast.com, and there you can find links to headlines, show notes, what's on TV this week, and an archive of our previous 75 shows. You can follow us at Twitter, twitter.com slash brittvpodcast. If you have any comments or suggestions, you can send it to feedback at britishtvpodcast.com. So yeah, I'm looking looking forward to seeing the Christopher Isherwood thing. Yeah, I, me too. I don't really know that much about him, even though I should because they're making movies of his books. I'm I've never seen Cabaret, but I'm certainly familiar with what the story is. It has that sort of fascination of 1930s Berlin because apparently it was extremely decadent, and of course the Nazis come in, and what that would have been uh, like for someone who was there. And I'm sure a great Matt Smith performance. Good to see him do something real different. Yep, it'll be great. All right, and Comic Relief is on Friday. Yes, there's so much to watch. My my little DVR is bursting at home, and yet I've been reading. I've got so many books, too. <laughs> it's not enough hours in the day for all the good things you can watch and read. Well, you'll catch up. The summer, I'm sure, will be a good time to, to catch up there. Oh, yeah, don't, who wants to go outside in the summer? <laughs> <laughs> wants to go outside in the spring. Oh, please, the rain, stop now. Okay, well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.